Welcome to the Cone Zone. We're the Cones. Perry Feast, Grant A. Lowell. Uh, I am in my office, which I'm going to show you a little later, but I want you guys to notice that the fuse box is no longer visible. That's important <laughs> because I promised to my dad that I would never do another show with the fuse box in the frame. It's a bad look. Now, this, this pipe, there's nothing I can do about the pipe. No, the pipe is okay. I can sort of like position my head right here so it doesn't look like the pipe exists, yeah. but it exists. It's a pipe. Anyway, good to see you, Dad. It's great to see you, sweetie. I'm sorry. I called you sweetie right off the bat. It's all right. You owe me a nickel for that one. Okay. Oh, yeah, nickel. All right. So the Niners are done with minicamp. They ended a week early. They uh, go back to training camp at the end of July. Let's talk about logistics. I mean, people might want to know, what are the 49ers doing right now? Well, yeah, okay. I believe some players have the option to stay for another week uh, since they canceled, since they ended things early. But essentially, by the end of this week, everyone's going to split up, go their separate ways, and continue to work out on their own. They don't just go on vacation. This is not the time to vacation. You vacation after the season. This is when people do a lot of conditioning and when Trey Lance is going to continue to work on mechanics and stuff with his private tutors. So it's a key part of the offseason. And when do they go to minicamp? Training camp. They go back to training camp training in camp about six right. weeks. So it'll and be like July 29th usually. Um, and what, what they'll do is they will install the offense all over again. So they'll do what they did in OTAs and training in minicamp uh, all over again. And so the, all these players should have – they should be better. They should have done this before. So it'll be interesting. Okay. Just uh, some nuts and bolts before we get to our topics. When training camp starts, are you finally allowed into the locker room then? No, it doesn't work that way. What the, what the Niners usually do is they will wait until they've cut – the roster down to 53 players. Fair enough. Right, because there's a ton of people in the locker room. And then at that point, you'll be able to go in there. You know how it works in training camp. I think sometimes they're like sharing lockers in training camp, sure, the undrafted sure. free agents. So yeah, eventually like mid-August, late August, I'll be in the locker room for the first time in two years. For the first time in three years? Well, yeah, since, tw since before the pandemic. Yeah. And what difference does that make in your coverage that you're allowed into the locker room? Well, you get to know the players that you cover. Like you used, I used to be able to sit and talk to Richard Sherman, just about anything. He would sit at his locker and want to talk to reporters off, not off the record, just talk to reporters in like non interview settings because he's in his thirties and a lot of players on the team are in their twenties. And it seemed like he was interested in talking to reporters. There are players like that. I think Trent Williams would probably be like that. You know what I mean? Like the, the off-the-record conversations where you get to know a player helps. Brent Jones was like that. Steve Young was like that. Ronnie yeah. Lott was like that. Yeah. You could talk to Ronnie. He was sitting there. You could talk to this great Hall of Fame player all the time. Yeah. And so that'll be interesting. And then, you know, it's just been such a long time since I've been in the locker room. I'm a whole different person now. I mean, I'm not a different person, but I have a different platform now. The players know who I am. It's going to be interesting to see how many more players, you know, have something to say. And I think that'll be interesting how – me and the players sort of learn to coexist in a new way. Yeah, there may be some tension with you at first, but I want to emphasize to the to our viewers that goes away pretty quickly because players are concerned with making the team and being yeah. a team. And if they're concerned with Iggy, they have all the wrong priorities. One final question before we move on. Is Juszczyk available? Does does he like to sit and chat? Absolutely. Juszczyk is always there. Juszczyk is one of the best because – he, uh, I don't know if I've talked about this with you before, but he rarely gets questions about himself. He stands there to talk about the team, the offense, other players, the running backs, and he loves to do it. He's really smart. 
He's really articulate and he's very generous with his time and insights. It's very uh, nice. You know, um, I think if possible, you should try to get his uh, text. I'm sorry, his uh, cell number. Okay. And I think you should ask him questions about himself. I'd love to. Yeah. What is he most proud of in his own game? Yep. What yep. does he take the most pride in? Yep. Um, does he consider himself an elite player? Yep. You know, he's a Harvard guy. I don't know Harvard guys, but I know Stanford guys. They they love to talk about things like that. Yep. And they're honest about themselves. Great idea. Did I ever tell you, um, I'm meandering a little today. When I uh, was graduating from Lafayette College in 1966, I applied to all the big uh, English departments in America, and I got rejected at Harvard and, Harvard and Yale. Thank God. I went to Stanford. Thank God. But on one trip, road trip, the Niners were playing in New England, and I was staying in, in um, Boston, and I got there a few days early. So I went over to Harvard, uh, you know, to Cambridge, and to see what it was like to school I got rejected at, you know? Yeah. So I I went, and Iggy, I don't think you've ever been there, but it's this sort of like almost red purplish brick. And it looked like my elementary school, PS193, on wow. Avenue L in Bedford Avenue in Brooklyn. Wow. And I thought, I already went to PS193. I'm glad I didn't go there. I went to Stanford. Yeah, my I, I, w I went to UCLA, which is gorgeous, but it's a very small, it's, I think it's the smallest UC campus. Going to Stanford is amazing because it's it's like a city for like 4,000 people. It's amazing. It's amazing. There's like no one there. You saw there's a person walking around. He's one of the 4,000 people that gets to experience this lovely place. Yeah, it's amazing. Anyway. Uh, okay, let's get um, storylines for training camp. Story May I go first? Yes. I think the primary storyline is quarterbacks, quarterbacks, quarterbacks. Always. I think everybody could agree on that. So let me try to refine what I'm saying. First of all, will Jimmy be there for training camp? Do you do you know the answer to that? No clue. Now I've I've bet a bottle of wine with you that he will be, but I don't know. I'm prepared to lose that bet. The bet is I want to refine that. He'll the be there. Bet is that he will not be on the roster for the opening day of the season. That's yeah. the bet. Well, that that's what you bet. I bet that he will be on the roster. Yes, but that has yeah. nothing to do with training camp. No, but for him to be on the roster week one, he has to be on the roster in training camp. So I'm saying I think he will be, but I don't know. Okay. So the first question is, will he be there for training camp? And I don't have a clue. Next question. If he's there for training camp, how does Kyle Shanahan work the reps? I know. Is it 50-50, sort of like it was last season? Or does he make the statement right off, Trey Lance is my starter and Jimmy is the backup? That's a very important question. Yeah. If he's on the roster and if I'm the head coach, I'm saying Trey Lance. I'm saying Jimmy is the backup. You yes. have to. You have to make a statement. And if he makes that statement, what does Jimmy do? Does he leave? Does he sulk? What happens? Right. So that's my main storyline divided into three subtopics. What do you think, Iggy? I, I Absolutely. Uh, that's, the, that's the story. I mean, the quarterback is always a story, but this year more than ever. I mean, the Niners might actually have a quarterback competition. You never see that. Where, where like guys split reps last year, they didn't do it. I called it a quarterback competition because I wanted it to be one, but they gave Trey Lance very few first team reps. So he couldn't really compare his production in practice to Jimmy's. If they do that this year, it would be a circus. 
And I would love it because every day people want to know Grant who won the quarterback competition that day. And I, I mean, it would be a bonanza. So I think it'd be great. But that's that's the number one thing people are wondering about this year. What's up with the? They still have a name to the starting quarterback, Dad. It's unbelievable. And here's what I want to say. If it's a straight-up competition, 50-50, and both getting a lot of first-team reps, which I'm against, okay, I don't like it because Jimmy has defined himself, and we know this, as a quarterback who can almost get you there. Mm-hmm. But he can't close the deal. Nope. Iggy, give him a century, and he can't yeah. close the deal. Nope. As far as Lance goes, we don't know that he can close the deal, but at least there's the potential that he can. We don't can. know that he can't. You don't know that he can't, and we know that Jimmy can. Right. So end of story. would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, end of story. So that means Trey Lance needs all the reps, all of them. I think I think he needs to be designated as the number one guy. Jimmy gets some reps, but he gets a lot of reps with the second and third teamers. Lance yeah. guy. If not, what in the, what in the hell is going on there? I would have to say so. That would be national news if Jimmy Garoppolo was taking first team reps with the Niners. Oh, yeah. Really, I mean, he shouldn't be on the team. He should never step foot on that practice field again. Why is he there? He doesn't want to be there. Trey Lance, you want Trey Lance? I mean, he's trying to be the leader that you want him to be. What's the point of bringing Jimmy Garoppolo back? Why? Right, and Jimmy Garoppolo already said goodbye. He already said goodbye. How awkward would it be to have him coming back? Hey, put a, put a jersey on. Put a helmet on. Yeah, and then he'd have to come in and say hello. Yeah, talk to the media that you already said goodbye to. Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah, it doesn't make yeah. sense. I think you're probably going to win this bet, Dad. But the Niners do some erratic things. Let's see. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's and look. Let's face it. When you're there for the first practice in training camp, you're not going to be looking at the defensive backs. Uh, you're going to be looking at the quarterbacks. Absolutely. And what's, what's going to be tough about this training camp is you could theoretically only look at the quarterbacks every day. Yeah. And I, every I, day. And I, so like. I can't miss a single thing that either quarter that the quarterbacks do. But at the same time, I got to look, look at the whole team. You can't just look at one position, but you can't miss anything the quarterbacks do. It's a lot. It helps if you have a team of people, which I don't. Oh, well. I know. And they don't let your other guy uh, go in, right? Okay. Yeah. Let's not kvetch. Let's not kvetch. No, I'm not kvetching. But, yeah, it's hard. There's a lot to, there's a lot to watch. Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Storyline number two. Yes, you this go. Almost as important, if not more important, the offensive line. The problem is all eyes are going to be on the quarterback and the offensive line. It'll go way under the radar. They don't do tackle football. It's really hard to judge offensive linemen in training camp. But I got to try because I feel like the reason I'm sort of lukewarm on this particular team is the offensive line. I like the defense. I like the weapons. I like the quarterback, even though he's unproven. I've seen him in practice. I think he's really promising. The offensive line, though. You got an excellent left tackle and a bunch of question marks. Uh, can they answer any of those questions in training camp? Are they going to be constantly trying a new person at right tackle or a new person at left guard? Because if they do that, then whichever quarterback it is, is in trouble big time. And this is a team that's had a lot of injuries at quarterback the last few years. Iggy, could you go starting at left tackle? And as of today, who you think the starting offensive linemen are and give them a tentative grade, knowing that the grade is meaningless once things start. Okay, left tackle, Trent Williams, A-plus, best in the game. Left guard, Aaron Banks, didn't play last year. Might be the worst starter on the team until he proves something. I'm going to have to give him a D. You know what? Give him a no grade for now. A no grade. Let's give him a no grade. Kind of like what Trey Lance would get, right? A no grade. A no grade for now. 
Jake Brendel is 29 years old. Uh, he started three games in his career. He's going to be the starting center. He was the Niners' backup center last year. The offensive line coach really likes him. He's had him for a long time, but he's played six snaps the last three years. That's their starting center. 29 knows the offense. I don't know. C so let's give him a no grade. No grade. Okay. No grade, although he's 29 years old. Right, yeah. right guard, Daniel Brunskill, same guy. Uh, B minus. B minus. B minus. He's okay. C plus, okay. B minus. And then the right tackles, Mike McGlinchey. B minus when, but he's hurt. So if not him, then it'll be someone who didn't start last year, like Justin School or Jalen Moore. So we'll see. Okay. All yeah. right. Interesting. I, I mean, they it. have one great offensive lineman, but no one else you would say is even necessarily good. Although maybe someone will step up and establish themselves. They need that. And they like their power running to the left because of Trent Williams. Trent Williams, and you can bring Kittle over there and have use check and really run on the on the on the perimeter. But what about pass protection? What about running to the right? What about running up the middle? Because Lakin Tomlinson was a very good guard. He's gone. I, I, I've noticed with McGlinchey, he's better at run blocking than protecting the quarterback. Would you agree? No question. No, no question. question. No. I mean, that's how all the 49ers offensive linemen are, except for Williams. And I think what Kyle thinks is it's a run first team. Pass protection is really valuable. Why don't I go the other direction and get guys who specialize in run blocking and have a really good running team? That's great. But what happens on third and seven? What happens in a two-minute drill? What happens when you're down late in the game? You got you to gotta pass block at some point. So Trey, so Trey Lance is going to be having to make people miss. And that's what the Colts asked Andrew Luck to do for a long time, and you saw it happen. So it's it's, it's important. This is very important. This is, the, this is the future of the franchise. Can they protect it? Okay. Yes, the future of the franchise. Yeah. You, you've got to really, really invest in protecting him. Otherwise, you're in a pickle. Right. I mean, it's it's one thing to have a weak secondary, but having a weak offensive line has could ruin the future of the franchise. So it's yeah, very exactly. I think we've said in the past, uh, the most important unit on a team is the offensive line. Yes, absolutely. And the Niners are being very casual about it or confident, one or the other. Well, I would say there's history for that. When Bob McKittrick uh, was their offensive line coach forever, on those Super Bowl teams, he had late draft choices, not very famous guys. Mm -hmm. And look what he did. Yep. So maybe that's th their feeling. Who's their offensive line coach? Chris Forster, who and is good. He's good. So yep. maybe, you know, it's the Bob McKittrick tradition. Yep. And if that's the case, God love him. Yep. And, you know, Mike Shanahan did the same thing in Denver. He did. Same exact thing. Late, late, dra late drafted offensive lineman. Couple questions, and we'll get back to our storylines. Irfan says, "Did you see the report about Baker and the Panthers? Apparently, the Panthers are interested in trading for Baker Mayfield, so that's a team that wouldn't trade for Jimmy. But it's possible that if Baker Mayfield goes to the Panthers, that the Browns would want to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, considering Deshaun Watson might get suspended. We'll see. I saw it. We'll see what happens. Baker hasn't gotten traded yet, but potentially there could be a trade for Jimmy, a trading partner opening up soon." All right, back to wait, our story. Wait, wait, wait. if Baker oh, gets traded to the Panthers, mm -hmm. does that mean he needs to move to another stadium and live in another stadium, Iggy? Do you know, you know those, really, that. those really important ads that he does where he lives in the stadium? Because I believe he lives in the stadium. It's so funny. Oh, yeah, it, it just tickles me. Anyway, does he have to move into that stadium then? I hate those commercials. Are they going to do those still if he's on the Panthers? You know, my feeling is Baker Mayfield should have worked harder at being a good quarterback than at being an actor. What do you I think? Agree. 
I yeah. agree. I, whenever a uh, quarterback tries to cross over and be a personality or an actor, it make I was just like, and eh, you're not gonna make it. I'm sorry, Tom Brady yeah, didn't do yeah. that. Yeah, right. Tom Brady didn't do that. Peyton Manning didn't do that. Joe Montana didn't do that. No, it's too hard of a job. You, you know, but Baker Mayfield did. Yeah, he's a crossover success. He's so <laughs> engaging. All right, storyline number three. This is for, this is you. Okay. Oh, I love this one. Well, it was my idea. Who participates in um, in training camp? Now, let's be clear. Certain people, I don't think, need to participate a lot. If they say Trent Williams is going to take a few days off, who cares? He's 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 big. He's older. He's great. He will he'll take the whole training camp off, and and they'll, they'll well, like he could. He freaking could. And who cares? And the same with Bosa. Yeah. You know, he is so elite, yep. and he's so dedicated. Right. Um, he's got he's got such the right personality and he's got such the right values. If he needs time off for a lot of time off, who cares? Right. But there are others I wonder about. Kittle. Yep. If he's not practicing a lot, what does it mean? Yep. Does it mean he's already hurt a little bit? Yep. Or does it mean they are so afraid of his getting hurt? Because he's shown himself to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, if if it's because he's vulnerable, you got to worry. Uh, yep. Not that I would worry. They've got to worry. Yeah. So I say Kittle is is really important. Is there if he's not practicing? Um, Debo. Debo. If Debo's he's a big not one. in training camp, does it mean they haven't worked things out? Uh, it, it, could that be possible? Or if he's not in training camp, could they still work things out? Could he still boycott? Or are there rules about that? Well, what he could do is he could come to camp and say, oh, I pulled my hamstring. So I'm here and I'm working out. And I'm doing all the things that I need to do. I just can't. Yeah, it's the darndest thing I can't practice. My hamstring hurts. My back hurts. And and players have done that? I think, yeah, I th they have. I don't know if he will. He, he's over here trying to sort of like, remake his image and show that he's mature and professional. I think he realizes that some of the things he did backfired this off season. So maybe he won't do that, but we, I mean, he showed up to mini camp. He was smiling. He hasn't formally dropped his trade request. So I'm curious to see what happens. So people who bear watching while you're looking at the quarterbacks and the offensive line, people who bear watching are Kittle and especially Debo. Would you agree? The thing with, agree with the thing with Debo. Debo I think Debo has calmed down a little bit and he assumes like, all right, all right, they'll, they'll pay me before training camp. What if, what if they don't get that done before training camp? Some, he's not going to, he's not just going to be on the field with no extension, smiling it up in August. They'll have to actually work it out. And I think they probably will sign Debo. I think Bosa will be a little bit more tricky because he's going to be twice as expensive. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but that'll be next year. This year, I think they'll probably handle it with Debo before camp, but if they don't, Oh my God, that's like storyline number one. Ah, uh, right. That's even if they don't work it out. That's even more than the quarterbacks until they yes. work it out. And think about the, the potential circuses distractions the Niners could have at their camp this year. A quarterback competition that doesn't need to happen. Debo Samuel is he there? Is he happy? That stuff. How about just the teams getting ready to play a season and win the Super Bowl? Well, kinda. They got this other stuff too, though. That would be very interesting. Yeah. So, in fact, uh, when you go down to cover that, there could be a lot of hijinks. And I'm hoping for it because hijinks are nice. I like hijinks. Shenanigans. <laughs> Shenanigans. Hijinks. 
Right. I understand yeah. because yeah. it's stuff to report. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the NFL team is supposed to want to minimize distractions and all that stuff, but like, that's not my job. When they create the distractions, I profit. They don't. So I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, but like, if they really want to have a quarterback competition, are you kidding me? Do you, can you imagine how many views I would get in a month every day? Here's exactly what happened that you couldn't see, but I saw like, please let that happen. Kyle, for my benefit, not for yours. <laughs> right. And if, and if he's silly enough to let that happen, he's really uh, uh, helping you and every other journalist there. Absolutely. Yes. Giving us all stuff to talk about endlessly at his own expense. Maybe. Yeah. 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 I don't think Bill Walsh would do that. I don't think so. Cause really once you have a quarterback competition, I think you're allowing the media to sort of decide they're going to write every day what they think the fans are going to have a, a decision and the, your opinion as a coach, will it even matter anymore? Right. You know? you're, in, you're inviting the media in. Same thing they did when they traded up uh, a month before the draft two years ago for a quarterback. The media decided the Niners couldn't take Mac Jones. Not going to happen. Fans decided. And the Niners didn't take him. He was really good last Not that they should have. But you can't let the media make the decision for you and the fans. Because they will. They will. All right. Okay. Let's keep going. There's more storylines. These are smaller, though. But I like covering everything at camp and – I like covering the little the little plans that the Niners have that they're acting like they're confident in, but they're pro they may or may not be good plans. For example, the, the strong safety position. The Niners had to go cheap at a couple positions because they didn't get rid of Jimmy, and they're trying to act like that's fine. It's okay. This is what we want to do all along. No problem. We like Talanoa Hafunga. Okay, he was a fifth round pick last year. They didn't. They got rid of Jaquaski Tart. They didn't sign anyone who's been a long term starter. They didn't draft a safety. They basically have a super highway for Talanoa to start. Is he worth it? He was just a fifth-round pick last year. Nothing against that. But when they drafted him, they were talking about special teams. Now they're talking about just no competition. And I'm curious, like, now you, now he's going to – he's not going to be going against Jimmy Garoppolo every day. Jimmy Garoppolo would make safeties look good because Jimmy doesn't throw deep. But Trey will. So what, how many deep catches are the Niners' defense going to be giving up in camp? And how many times is Talanoa, the, the youngster, who's unproven, responsible? That's – something I'm going to be looking for that probably a lot of people won't, but I want to know because I'm a little skeptical of, of this plan here that the Niners are so confident in. What do you think of him as a player? I think he's, they, they say he's very professional. He's clearly very mature, uh, probably good parents. He, his Troy Palomalos, his mentor, he does everything right. He's slow though. Oh. He's slower than some of their linebackers. And it's kind of important to run fast at, in, in the secondary because he's supposed to be instinctual, you know, one step ahead of the play. But what if he's not? Now he's he can't recover. He can't run with these wide receivers. So I'm curious. It's not they're saying he plays like a vet. I don't know. He started three games. We'll see. Or is he going to be out of position a lot, giving up big plays and touchdowns? Because if he is, that's the kind of thing that's going to get exposed right away in the regular season. Right away. So I'd like to see if I could see it in training camp. Okay. So you're not saying that he's a liability. You're saying there's a question mark and you want to learn. Right. Because the thing with Tart, he couldn't catch that interception at the end. He wasn't a great player, but he basically didn't give up big plays. And he basically wasn't, you know, guessing and relying on instincts to be over here when he needed to be over here. He was in the right place at the right time and he didn't give up big plays. Can Talano do that? Because if he can't, then he's not the right guy for the job and they need to call Jaquaski Tart back right now. He's still a free agent. It's interesting that he's still a free agent, Iggy. Yeah. Uh, it I, is interesting. I, I thought he was better than that, you know? I don't but understand. He, but. He, I mean, there's still time. He could sign before training camp, but 
I don't know. He's still available. Not have to decide. That, that's that's storyline number four. And then a similar one is in the, again in the secondary, the nickel position. The Niners, uh, they're not even that confident about their plan here. At safety, they're like, we have Talanoa. He's great. At nickel, they're like, well, we have Darquez Denard, who we got off the practice squad last year, and we drafted a guy in the fifth round this year, and we drafted a guy in the fifth round last year. Like, I think they're just kind of going to see what happens in training camp. They don't have any expectations of who's going to take the job. And I'm wondering, like, is a competition full of backups a really a competition? If someone wins, does that mean you have a starter? Do the Niners have a starting nickelback? Because the Rams have a slot receiver, Cooper Cup, who's like the best player in the league. So it's kind of important. And the Niners had a good slot uh, corner last year in K1 Williams, but they couldn't resign him because Jimmy's on the team. So he went to Denver. That's a very that's a very good team right now. So I'm curious, did the Niners actually have a plan here at, at nickel, or is this like a financial uh, sacrifice because Jimmy's here? Iggy, tell the viewers what the nickelback does and why it's an important position. The nickelback is the corner who covers the slot receiver, the corner in the middle. So the two corners on the outside, that's a tough job because you have to be able to cover the deep pass. You have to be really fast and you have to be pretty big, but you get to use the sideline as an extra defender. Remember Namdi Asamoah used to do that. He was really good. He, it's almost like you have help. You have a safety over the top. You have a sideline over there. In the slot, it's arguably harder because the the wide receiver can go left and right. Mm. So you can't really overplay one direction like you could on the outside. They have the wide receiver has what they call coaches call a two-way go. That's really tough to cover. So you kind of have to play straight up, honest, and be so quick and fast that you can just follow this guy around wherever he goes. And that you're, you're you're covering the quickest receiver on the team. It's hard. It's really hard to do. Part. Iggy, is the nickel back in on all the downs? No, it's in when the when the offense has three wide receivers on the field. But the thing is, as as the NFL has evolved over the last 30 years, teams have three wide receivers on the field more and more and more. There are some teams that have three wide receivers on the field all the time. There are some teams that have four wide receivers on the field. So more and more, like 20 years ago, it wasn't really a starting position. It was someone who would play maybe 30%. Now it's like 70% of the snaps. It's basically a starting position. And you might want to have someone who's really good there because a lot of teams put their best receiver in the slot. Niners do it with Debo. Uh, Cardinals do it with DeAndre Hopkins. Rams do it with Cup. So if your best corner can't cover in the slot, you can't really match up with some of the best receivers in the league. And that's what New England has has used a lot. For 10, 15 years. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. When you put in a nickel, do you take out a linebacker? Yes, you do. Yes, absolutely. So he's, in a sense... It's a tough position, right? Because what if they run the ball? Yeah. Now you're 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 a linebacker essentially. You right. have to go uh, take on a block, make a tackle. So you can't. You have to be like the best coverage guy on the team, but you also have to be tough and and durable and a good tackler. So to me, like the Niners are always looking for that player in round five. Like, look what we just described—the skill set we just described. That's hard to find. The yeah. the the Packers, who have a maybe an even better defense than the Niners, they, their nickel back is a was. A first-round pick, Jair Alexander. They're not messing around. Very important. And usually in the secondary, you have a bunch of top picks. The Niners are still thinking they can find diamonds in the rough. And sometimes they do. But I'm curious to see if they have this year. Right. And again, you're not saying they don't. They have it. But it's it's one of the storylines that you'll explore. Right. Like, like they're, they're confident they can do it because Kwan Williams was an undrafted free agent. They think there are certain traits they can pinpoint that are there later in the draft. All right. They got a guy in round five this year, Samuel Womack. Let's see it. 
Because so far in camp, he looks pretty good. He hasn't played with the starters yet, but he looks pretty good. And let's face it, John Lynch was a great defensive back. Hall a of great Fame. defensive back. Here's, here's what kills me. He's been the GM. This is his sixth season going, going into his sixth season. He's one of the best strong safeties of all time. The Niners have drafted only three safeties since he's been here. And none before round five. That's amazing. How, how could he talk himself into the safety being the least important position on the team? It's amazing. Maybe he just felt he was that good. I don't know. Or maybe yeah. it's it's bigger than him. Recently, I was talking to Fred Van Oppen. He used to be a coach with the Niners. I never become friends with people I cover, except I, Fred and I are friends and have been dear friends for decades. And mm -hmm. we were chatting on the phone the other day. And I, I was mentioning John Lynch because he coached John Lynch at Stanford. Fred did. He was mm -hmm. the defensive coordinator. And I said, Fred, did you use him as a strong safety? He said, no. We used him as a free safety. We had three other defensive backs, mm. but we felt he read the defense so brilliantly and he wow. was such a great tackler. We wanted him all over the place. So they used him as, it, let's say, free safety slash strong safety. That's very interesting. And if I remember correctly, when he was in the league, he played in Tampa, which was famous for that Tampa two defense, which means it was him and another guy playing deep. So he would have half the field. But he wasn't down in the box. He was deep playing half the field. And I guess yeah. he was great. Yeah. yeah. And I want to say, Fred, whenever he talks about Lynch, it's with the greatest respect. And he also said, and you know, Lowell, he was a Stanford athlete. He's so smart and he's so mature. Now, Fred hasn't seen him in a long time, obviously. But even as a Stanford player, he speaks about him with, with Lynch with reverence. Fred was the defensive coordinator on that team, right? Uh, on, on when Bill came back in 1992, Fred was his defensive coordinator. And I got to know Fred because I wrote a book on that team. And so I got closer to the coaching staff than I ordinarily would because I would be in coaches' meetings. And Fred, um, who's, I'm going to, it would piss him off that I would say this. He's an intellectual. And what, we didn't know each other. And he was very leery of me. And uh, Tom Homo, who was on the squad, told me, who was a coach, Fred, you say, why the hell is that journalist here? Why is he here? It, was, it really pisses me off. You could hear Fred saying it. Then one day in a coach's meeting, he leaves a poem. He typed it out from William Carlos Williams, a little tiny poem. And I realized he's trying to be friendly. And I went home and I told mom, you know, he, and I showed her the poem and she said, he's reaching out. And then we started talking about literature and poetry and we came, became dear friends starting in 1992. I love him. I love Fred Von Oppen. Well, I was just wanted to say, so he was a defensive coordinator of that team, and John Lynch was by far the best defensive player in that team, right? John Lynch. Yeah, they had another cornerback. You know, I'm bad on names. They had a cornerback who went into the NFL and was very good, but okay. Lynch was the best. Okay, Lynch was the best. And Lynch was a quarterback at first, and they had to sell him on playing defense, and they had to get him to – I'm sure I could totally see why Fred would be proud. I mean, they discovered John Lynch. They began they, – they started the John Lynch at safety – Legend. Yes. And yeah. it, this is what Fred also told me that he would, he would do football practice, but he was a star baseball player. Right. So then he would run over to the baseball field and right. it's, he was a two sport guy. Right. And if I remember correctly, oh, this is before my time, but reading your book, he, John Lynch's like signature moment in college was the uh, Stanford played Notre Dame. That's right. He made two key tack tackles in that game. And Notre Dame had Jerome Bettis, right? Yeah. And he was just 
phenomenal. And John Lynch, like, got him a few times. Got him. Yeah. Fred recently told me that early in the game, he misread a play. And he went for the wrong guy. You know, it's funny how these coaches are. They can remember. remember every single play. Like golfers can remember every single shot that they've ever taken, right? Right. I bet Fred could remember the down and distance on that too. All of that. And then yeah. he said, but after that, he was unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. But there was one play. Hey, I had to ding it. I had to ding it. <laughs> That's great. Matthew Sanders says, hijinks are fine, but please no Donnie Brooks, Grant. And no Tom Foolery. <laughs> James Haywood says, Grant. Great work. Interested to know what made you make your first YouTube video and how was the reaction? <laughs> this is a true story. So uh, the Niners drafted Mike McGlinchey. I didn't think he was the right pick. He, they, he was doing minicamp. They used to let you film one-on-ones. Uh, uh, -on they used to do one-on-ones at minicamp and OTAs. I wanted to show people what I was seeing from Mike McGlinchey. The reason I started my YouTube channel was to just put up videos of Mike McGlinchey against Cassius Marsh. That's how it started. If you go back and look, the first videos, I, I think I had to take them down. They made me take them down like a year later. There's a rule. But anyway, it was just to show Mike McGlinchey. That's all. That's the, that was the genesis of this. But Iggy, tell them who it was that encouraged you to start doing videos. Robert Sala. Tell about that story. Well, there was Brian Ball. There's this guy, Brian Baldinger on NFL Network, who started using coaches film to do breakdowns on on Twitter. And a lot of people started, took the idea. I took the idea. It was a great idea. I want to do it for the Niners. And I did a little bit of it and Sala was impressed and he said, I should focus on it. And so now, I mean, every Tuesday during the season, me and Jack Hammer do the film breakdown. And uh, that was, that was Robert Sala's suggestion. He basically said that, you know, it's age of information, give people the information that they want. I do. He's very proud of me, by the way, uh, in this YouTube channel. He's proud that I made it independently. As he said, Anyway, I would like to add to that. Yeah. You understand what Iggy's saying, that when Robert Sala was a defensive coordinator of the 49ers, he, Sala and Iggy had a back channel that Sala created, not yeah. Iggy. No. Sala uh, reached out to Iggy and said, I see something in you. Um, and he, he also said, all the other coaches here can't stand you, right? Yeah, so, well, the first way, the way it first started was like 2018, the second year, I was doing post-practice reports. And everyone watches those, even the coaches. He came up to me before practice. He was like, hey, man, I love your videos. I watch them every day. I was like, thanks, Robert. He said, there are like, you do have a lot of conspiracy theories, though. He's like, if you ever want the answers to the questions, why don't you just call me? I was like, really? Are you serious? Like, yeah. So. Ever since then, I mean, he wasn't like giving me information I shouldn't have. He wasn't going behind Kyle's back and telling no, me he was nothing like that. It, it was very innocent. And he like, hey, you need to understand this is why Jimmy Ward's good. Or, hey, you need to understand this is why I called the game this way. It was very helpful to have <laughs> to have that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So I am eternally grateful to Salah. And one other thing, and this is really serious. When mom died on February 12th, within a week, Salah called you. He did. Yeah. Um, no coaches on the 49ers called Iggy. They, their business. Um, Bill Walsh would have. But um, Salah called from New Jersey to talk to Iggy and to, and to comfort him. So I've never met Salah, but I love Salah. Right. And it's not like there's anything I could do for him at this point in his career. Yeah. He, just didn't. he didn't need you. He's no. just a wonderful, wonderful human being. Mike got the gun, says K1 was decent at best. To be honest, he was slow as well. 
yeah, he was better in zone, but he he was a good tackler. He could he could he could blitz. Is do the Niners have someone that good? Is my question. Um, make sure we didn't miss any, and then we'll get back to the show. We got a bonus topic that I didn't prep you for, but I'll explain it to you. Okay, uh, I can do it. I can. Let me see All what right. else we got here. Oh. This is how how the Yorks will handle the the future of the NFL financially. Okay, you're going to have to do this because uh, you okay. you're more informed on this than I am. Okay, so real quick, so the Yorks have have owned this team during the salary cap era. Parag has been a big fixture here. It's a lot different than when the DeBartolos owned the team, um, and the the league is now changing. Salary cap's going up big time, and players are getting more and more guaranteed money. There is a weird old rule in the NFL called the funding rule. I think you've heard of this, but if you give a player a certain amount of guaranteed money, let's say it's $80 million, you'll pay some of that to the player in the first year, but whatever you don't pay in the first year, at the 365th day, you have to put the remainder, the team has to put the remainder in an escrow account. Mm. So you have to have liquidity. You have to have cash to have to like, there's a lot of these funny money contracts with incentives and all this, but whatever the guarantee is, you have to put that in an escrow account. The Raiders had problems with that. Mark Davis in particular, we're like, why'd they get rid of uh, Khalil Mack? Well, they may not have had the cash. I'm not saying the Niners don't have the cash, but Debo is going to be expensive. Then next, next year, Nick Bosa is going to be twice as expensive, $80 million probably guaranteed. And this trend is going to keep going. Eventually, if Trey Lance is great, he'll get – Quarterbacks are getting fully guaranteed contracts. Deshaun oh. Watson got $230 million fully guaranteed. So that, let's say, eventually in the next 10 years, contracts become partially, to, I mean, mostly fully guaranteed. What if in the next 10 years, the salary cap goes away? Because really, why is there a salary cap, Dad? It doesn't make any sense. These They have so much revenue. Uh, this fun, I mean, this funding rule, the, the players wanted it 50 years ago because the owners weren't as rich. Now they're all billionaires. I, I think... that. The league could change, and if it does, I wonder how they'll how they'll react because they're so good at you know managing the cap, and they have so many investments. The York family is invested all over the place. They got a team in the English Premier League. Is all their cash tied up? Do they have the money? And finally, like how much revenue are they making right now from the Niners? I mean, have they had a, a WrestleMania there recently? Have they had a concert? Because how much money they're making the offseason? There's no. There's no games. There's no concessions. I'd love to know where the where the York's revenue is coming from right now and how much cash they have. Curious. Interesting. Now, again, uh, I, I think they're probably better off financially than Mark Davis. Yeah. He, yes. Yeah. Yes. He's always yes. got an issue. Yes. Um, and the thing about the York's, they um, have a reputation about being chintzy. Yes. I don't know, honestly, if they are. Right. I don't know. Uh, but the, the reputation came from somewhere. Yes. Um, and they may have changed. They may be quite generous now. But again, this is something that bears watching. Yes. As as the future goes, as we go on the future, it seems like the cap is going to become less and less of an issue and contracts are going to be more and more guaranteed. How do the Yorks deal in that climate? Because they came into the league when it was a strict salary cap and their advantage was being able to navigate it with Parag. What if that's not a factor in, anymore? Yeah. What if it's all about more like in the 80s and 90s, who has the most money? Who's willing to spend the most? That's what it was about back then. And you know, one thing you're saying, it's becoming more like baseball. Absolutely. Where- and it should be, Dad. It's, isn't it outrageous that the NFL has a has a salary cap? Yeah. How do you explain that? More parity? The Patriots were one of the most dominant dynasties ever. Was there really parity? I don't know about that. 
anyway, so something to, something to keep in mind. The league is changing. I wonder if the Yorks change with it. I love it. I, that's the bonus topic. I, was, bonus topic. I, I love it. I'm giving you an A plus on the bonus topic. All right, let's talk Warriors. Is it? Well, hold on a minute here. We're, we're, we are. So what? Let me tell you what you've written for me. What impresses you most about the Warriors? Who's a full Hall of Famer and why? Will the Warriors win Game Six in Boston? Let's okay. go one by one. And the reason we don't normally talk anything other than Niners on this show, but we figure the Warriors are a local team. They're in game six of the finals. Everyone's watching that series. I'm sure everyone watching has an opinion and, and would like to talk about it. So let's talk about it for 20 minutes. You know, I'm watching too. And I got to yeah. tell you, I don't, I, I've lost a lot of interest in sports, except for the Niners, because you're doing the Niners. So I didn't watch one regular season game of the Warriors. But as the playoffs went on, I was watching more and more and more. And I'm totally into these finals. Again, I do not root, but I'm fascinated by the drama. So the question is, what impresses you about the Warriors team? Oh, um, winners. Um, uh, they've three-time champion on the, on the verge, perhaps, yeah. of being four-time champions. Everything you want from a team unselfish, yep. no prima donna, no prima donna. Uh, you, they used you know, to have one. I'm sorry? They used to have one. They used to have one. He's in Brooklyn now. Yeah. He was a prima donna. He's gone. KD. KDiva. I thought he was a prima donna. Oh. And they don't need him. Nope. And their superstar, Stephen Curry, is not a prima donna. And I want to tell our viewers, when you would cover a Warriors practice, he was the most approachable. Yeah. I mean, imagine him compared to LeBron James. LeBron James, I'm sure you got to have, like, <laughs> you have to be. It's like interviewing the president. It's like, right, exactly. Like the president, yes. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Stephen, you'd say to, to Raymond, their PR guy, who's the most wonderful guy, Raymond Ritter, could we get Steph, you know, in a group interview? Yeah, Steph, yeah. he would sit in this, you know, this sort of like, you know, the stool, the large chair, and you yeah. talk to him as long as you wanted. And then if you wanted him a little after, he would talk a little after. Yeah. He is the most normal, lovely superstar I've, well, Chris Mullen. Yeah. He's a yeah. mention and a half, right? Yeah. Chris yeah. Mullen is a mention and a half, but uh, him, him too. So what I like about, it's a long way to say they're a team. They're, they're not, you know, like Harden and four other guys. Right. They're a team. And the one of the reasons they're a team is they have a hell of a head coach yeah. in Steve Kerr who inculcates that, but the superstar accepts it. Right. And I guess what, what I like most about this, I don't root for the local teams, but what I like most about this team was um, it's, it's, a, it's a shot at Kevin Durant. He came here and it's sort of like invalidated what they had done without him. I love and it. He let like he got in that big fight with Draymond. Draymond essentially said, "We can win without you." Durant essentially laughed in his face. Durant left, and they're doing it. They are gonna. They're on the verge of beating the team that swept Durant, and this is going to define Durant's legacy the rest of his life, and it's going to define the Warriors' legacy the rest of their lives. And I think that's wonderful, wonderful. Not that I'm rooting for the Warriors to win, but if Dur I mean, forget. A lot of people used to say that Durant was better than when Curry. How about now? Really? How about who would you now? rather have? Who would you rather have? 
Who's your, everyone would rather have Curry. And I love that. Like Curry is really defining his legacy. And he's, I mean, he's two months younger than me. It feels like my generation, the last stand of my generation against a much younger team that doesn't frankly look like champions to me. They look like they're getting exposed. I want to come back to Durant for one minute. Durant, as great as Durant. he is, I'd rather have Draymond Green. Me too. I would rather have I, this is a great I, – I really enjoy watching Draymond Green too because he doesn't get the the credit that Stephen Curry gets. But, I mean, the, the team won with defense last night. He's the best defensive player I've ever seen. I didn't watch Bill Russell. But it seems kind of similar. Like with Bill Russell, he didn't score a lot. But his impact, the appreciation for him was that he just always won. And with Draymond, like the, not, the Warriors were a good, not great team before he was a starter. That's right. They had Clay, They had Steph. They would go to the playoffs and lose. Eventually, as soon as Draymond became a starter, they have been a dynasty. And right. I, it's nice to see him still doing his thing. And again, that's the vision that Steve Kerr has. One more. The Wiggins story. Oh. So you may not know about Wiggins. He got drafted by Cleveland. Uh, all of a sudden, LeBron decides he wants to go back to Cleveland. First, you know, and he's like the GM of the team. Now he's taken over. First thing he decides to do is trade Wiggins, who's like 19, for Kevin Love. Uh. That was a mistake. UCLA Wiggins, guy. Wiggins is pretty good. Like, Wiggins can play defense. Kevin Love can't play. Well, I don't even know what Kevin Love's doing these days. But Kevin Love can't play defense. So Wiggins had to go play for the Timberwolves, which is a terrible organization. And they were they, they thought he was a disappointment because he couldn't be LeBron James or whatever. He comes here. He's a role player. And he's great. He's great. He's great. He's a hell of a race. So much better than Harrison Barnes was five years ago. You know, yes. Yes. He, he's, Final one. Yeah. Gary Payton's kid. Gary Payton the second. Guy played like 28 minutes last night at three steals. He's really good on D. I mean, that's a nice story too. The guy was, he's almost 30 years old. He's been on a billion different teams. And now he's their best guard off the bench. Gary Payton second. That's pretty cool. And you know, Gary Payton, the senior, went to Skyline High School. And uh, Iggy's older brother, Brian, went to Skyline High School. Not at the right. same time. But I mean, it's... <laughs> Right up the street from us. It's walking distance from where we live. Yeah. And Gary Payton was one of my favorite players to watch when I was a kid. He was great. So good I on defense. I tell you a story about Gary Payton, the elder. Yeah. George Carl coached <laughs> him up in uh, Seattle. No, I'm not going to tell that story. Okay, okay. Um, and I was talking. I knew George very well because he coached the Warriors. And he said, you know, my best player is Gary. But he said – it's different coaching in the NBA than other sports. If Gary does something wrong, I can't call him out in front of the team. Oh. He said, you know, I have to be very careful, and I'll take him in my office and, and explain things. And he says, I can't even do that very often. And it wasn't a knock, I don't think, so much on Gary. It's how the NBA is different from other right. sports. Yeah. You, you got to be really careful because as soon as your best player turns on you, you're out. That's right. Yeah, you're out. I think he coached Carmelo Anthony too. Imagine that. That would have been tough. Because Carmelo was not. He also no. coached uh, Iguodala. Oh, that's right. That's right. He did. And he oh. once said to me, he once said to me, do you know if Iguodala, because now he was, he was on the Warriors and he said, do you know if Iguodala liked me? <laughs> coach said Probably you, not, coach. You could hear George saying that, right? Yes. That's and funny. he was like, all those years later, he said, Lo, do you think Iguodala likes me? And I said, how the hell do I know, right? 
we got more worries. Let's I got a couple questions we're gonna take. Marie says the owners will never approve of no salary cap. Most owners rather compete for money than a ring. Removing the cap would not benefit owners' pockets, and the NFL union is trash. Well, you're probably right, but it seems like the salary cap is just exploding. What's the point of even having it anymore? But Iggy, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but you you oh now you're all right. You had frozen okay. on the screen. Okay, your next question is who who's a Hall of Famer and why on the yeah, Warriors right now? Yeah. Why don't you do it? Stephen Curry is obvious. Well, Stephen Curry, but let's just linger on him for a second. Every time he has a good game, everyone writes a Stephen Curry's good article. I've read that a million <laughs> times. But he's better. He to me is one of the is probably one of the five greatest players of all time. I think he's the greatest offensive player ever. And I know it's silly, but He's small and he's not that athletic, but in terms of just putting the ball in the hoop, no one has ever done it as efficiently while being hounded by defenses as aggressively as him. You know, Iggy, I think he's more athletic than you're giving him credit for. True. I would, I would that's true. But it's not like he's not Michael Jordan. He's not six foot six jumping. He's, he, just, he doesn't dunk. The greatest offensive basketball player ever doesn't dunk. Yeah, interesting. And yeah. I'll say another thing about him. He's a very good passer, and mm -hmm. he really works hard. When he doesn't have the ball, he doesn't stand around. Harden, Harden. stand around, right? Lillard. It's like, hey, give Lillard. me the ball. Lillard. But, but he's cutting, and he works his ass off. And it's like the first few games in the series, the, the, the Boston game plan was shut down all of Curry's help, make him do it all himself. Well, that didn't work. So in this game, they pretty much tried to – take Curry out and make everyone else beat them. And Curry, whenever he got double teamed, he passed the ball. He never forces it. And so he, he ended the game with eight assists. He didn't hit a single three-point shot, but he was 7-12 to 12 inside the, the, the three-point line, and he played excellent defense. He had a really good game, despite yeah. going 0 for 9 from 3. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, he's okay. a Hall of Famer. Uh, who else is a Hall of Famer on the team? Draymond. Draymond. I totally agree. Now, may I uh, preface Go this ahead. by saying yeah. – if yeah. you if you're somebody in like Denver mm -hmm. or or uh, another city, Portland, and you don't know that much about Draymond, you look at his numbers and you say, how would you consider him for the Hall of Fame? But my attitude is he's the engine that makes the team go. Yeah, I mean, okay, defense doesn't count. Well, he didn't score enough. What about defense? That's half the game. Plus, he's the point guard on the team. He brings the ball up. He leads the team in assists every year. Every year. Yeah. So uh, also, I think he is one of only five or like five players who is top 10 all time in the finals in both assists and steals. He shows you the kind of impact. It's like who else has done that? LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. He's a lot like Scottie Pippen, that kind of a guy who's your best defensive player and your best playmaker on the team. And he has this attitude. <laughs> you can't beat me. Right. You can't beat me. Right. I'll do whatever it takes. You can't beat me. Usually what it takes is him defending centers. And he's been doing it for five, six. He's great at it. The guys who are supposedly bigger than him and supposed to push him around like Anthony Davis, he punks Anthony Davis. But this series, that's not what's being asked of him. What's being asked, everyone on Boston stands at the three-point line and, and shoots threes, even their center, Al Horford. So what Draymond has to do is defend Jalen Brown, number seven, who's really good. He's a small forward, and, and Draymond's kicking his ass. It's a whole different assignment, and he's kicking his ass, defending on the perimeter. Is it true that Charles Barkley calls Anthony Davis street clothes? <laughs> Does he? That's funny. I, I had lunch with Gary Furness yesterday, Dr. Gary Furness from Santa Rosa, 
And he told me that Barkley calls him street clothes. That's great. He's the best at what he does. Uh, Barkley. He's wonderful. I don't watch regular season basketball. It's so boring to me. But I like – so I, I, he probably said that during the year. I mean, the yeah. Lakers aren't in the playoffs this year. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it just – when I heard it, just sort of – I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I loved it. Okay, so those are two. But to me, like, this is one of the greatest dynasties ever, especially if they win this this uh, finals. I don't know that two Hall of Famers properly sums up how dominant this team was. What about Clay? Oh, I think so. I think so, too. One of the greatest uh, shooting guards in the history of the of the game. And Mark Jackson used to say that um, Clay Thompson and Curry together is the best shooting backcourt in the history of the NBA. Right. And people say that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter ever, and he is. But there's a lot of nights where Clay's better. And like Clay doesn't really shoot off the dribble. He's not a guy who dribbles a lot. And Curry can shoot off the dribble. But just in terms of like catching and shooting, Clay might be better. He's taller. He can catch the ball right here. He doesn't have to bring it down at all. It's gone. It's gone immediately. He's yeah. tall for it. He's a six foot seven shooting guard. And before he, he tore his ACL and stuff, he was as good as any perimeter defender in the league. That's what I was going to say. He may have slowed down a little there, but in, before he got hurt, he always guarded the toughest, the tougher guard. Yes. He absolutely. did. Yeah, absolutely. He would guard Chris Paul. He would guard guys really smaller than him, quicker than him and shut him down. Also, he was the most humble superstar ever. He never, you never hear him talk. I need more touches. I need more shots. Whatever, the, whatever they needed from him. And there was a, a while where they kind of phased him out. Durant was here. He was like the third option, probably the best third option ever. And it's like, oh, I'm gonna get 15 shots today. Okay, it's all right. Yeah, whatever you need. Whatever you need. Yeah. He used to live right up here uh, near us in the hills. I mean, up until quite recently, but I assume he moved now. Right. That here in San Francisco, you could see him walking around Montclair Village, and and everybody would leave him alone because he's such a sweet guy. No one. I was once at the uh, you know, the egg, egg shop, shop, yeah, and he was at a table uh, eating on his own near me, and we didn't even nod to each other. He, I left him alone, and he left me alone. He was, um, we were, he, he, I respected his privacy. That doesn't make him a Hall of Famer, but it does make him so unique. He is the most relatable, down to earth superstar I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, as as, as uh, mature and polished as Stephen Curry is, I don't know how relatable he really is. You know, I mean, I don't know. He makes fifty million dollars a year. He's he's got a bunch of investments. He golfs all the time. I don't know. Clay to me, see, he hangs out with his dog. He goes to. I'll just go to the egg shop. Read read the read the paper. Well, I told okay. you when he was um, drafted by the the Warriors. That's when I used to go on TV a lot. That it's NBC Sports Bay Area, and he hadn't even played for the Warriors yet. But they were introducing him on a segment before me uh, on the TV. And um, so I was in the green room. His father, Michael, was is very outgoing and he's an announcer. And he was a very good player. He was floating around the newsroom, you know, working the newsroom. Mm -hmm. The mom was sitting next to me. We were alone in the green room with Linda, who does the makeup. And the mom was so nervous. And I said, Mom, why are you so nervous? And she said, you know, Clay is shy and he's not used to being on TV. And I'm just worried about how he's going to do. And I said, Mom, he's going to do great. And we watched him together because uh, I wasn't on that segment. We watched him on the little monitor in the green room. And he was fine. He was a little shy, but he was fine. And when it was over, I said, how you feeling now? She said he did great. And you could see the pride of a mother. And you could see she was such a normal, 
my mom would have been nervous about me. And you could see where he got, he gets his humility from, from this lovely, I'm not saying anything against Michael. I wasn't in the green room with him, but the mom was so sweet and worried the way a mother would. Yeah. That's a great story. This shows how down to earth they are. Yep. Marie says they blew a 3-1 lead and begged Durant to come play because they needed somebody that matched LeBron James. A lot of lying going on here. Well, look, the, what's, what's so impressive about this team is they're potentially going to win their second ring without Durant. And Durant's never going to win a ring without Stephen Curry. Wait a minute. Did this guy just say that you and I are lying? Well, just not lying. It's just like a lot of uh, he said a lot of cap going on here. Cap would mean... Is that the word he used? Yeah, cap. cap. Okay. okay. Because we're giving our opinion. Yeah. We're not misrepresenting facts. No, he didn't, he didn't mean it like that. He didn't mean it like that. Okay. E-Money says, Lafayette, I teach down the street on College Hill. Oh, you mean Lafayette College? I I, uh, I went to Lafayette College in 62, graduated class of 66. My freshman year, I lived in Easton Dorm, and I was an English major at Lafayette mm-hmm. College. When I went there, it was 1,500 of us, all guys. There were no women. <laughs> and we had required first two years of ROTC. I learned to take apart an M1 rifle <laughs> and shoot it. Iggy, I got my hand caught, my finger caught in the thing. I got what you call M1 uh, thumb. You got M1 thumb? I had M1 thumb. It really hurt. Terrible. And uh, I, I, I'm one of the schmucks because that it happened. My finger. Oh. <laughs> Saul Rosenberg, Saul Rosenberg. So this guy teaches that on uh, College Hill. How about that? Wow. How about that? All right. Last Warriors topic. Oh, I, I got more, but keep going. Keep going. Will the Warriors win Game Six in Boston? Okay, that's a, a sucker's question because who the hell knows? I believe the Warriors will win this series. Um, it was your question, right? You're trying to suck me in. It's very hard to predict one game, especially here's why. Celtics are a good team. They have a hell of a good coach. They're fighting for their lives. It's an elimination game and they're home. So they're going to give everything they have. Not that they didn't before, but they're going to probably do that. And whatever desperation does. So I don't know if the Warriors are going to win that. I do think they're going to win the series. I agree. I think the Boston's going to win game six. I think it's hard to close out a team on their court. And then I think the Warriors will win game seven. Now, they lost game seven on their own home court in 2016 to LeBron James. They did. But that was at the end of a three-game losing streak that started with Draymond Green being suspended, and it all kind of snowballed. Yes. It all kind of snowballed. They've just won two in a row. I think they're going to lose one in Boston, but that's okay. I think they know they can beat Boston in San Francisco, and they probably will in game seven. And also, they don't have LeBron James. That's the thing with Boston. I don't know how great that team is. They're very good. If the Warriors happen to win game six in Boston, what an achievement. So all I can say is I think they're going to win. I imagine they're going to win in the seventh game at home. But if they win there, all the more power to them. And again, um, all praise to Steve Kerr. that would be four, four championships. What a hell of a coach. And w- what a, a great decision to part ways with Mark Jackson and to bring in Steve Kerr. I mean, and again, okay, I agree. No, but again, I, like, Mark Jackson was sort of a winner with the yeah. Warriors, but nothing like this. Also, what's, uh, what I like about this team, what I like about how they're doing this is 
in 20 years, when we talk about this team, they're going to be remembered for their offense. But they're winning with defense right now. They're playing Boston, which was supposed to be the best defensive team in the league. And then the Warriors are playing better defense. Uh, they're exposing the fact that Boston has no point guard. Marcus Smart, excellent defensive player, not a point guard. Jason Tatum, excellent score, not a point guard. And so Boston had 18 turnovers last night. Warriors had six. Mm. They took care of the ball. Boston didn't. Boom, you lost. I love that. And and yes. they're, I mean, 94 points they gave up. That's amazing. So. Yeah. Now, Iggy, I noticed you had a video earlier where you talked about the greatest all-time team. Yeah. Could we talk about that for a minute? Yes. Okay. You have Curry as a starting point guard. I do. I love Stephen Curry, and I could see why you did that. But it's not a slam dunk. So okay. let's hold on a minute. Okay. I'm going to say one proviso. It's very hard to compare players of different eras. Yes. Especially that used to not be a three-point shot. Yes. Just like in boxing, it's very hard to compare Marciano to Muhammad Ali. It's it's a different eras, different thing. So let's pretend that, that that doesn't exist. But I do think that's a big obstacle. Mm -hmm. There are two other point guards that I would like to point out. Okay. Oscar Robertson was great. Um, he scored more than Curry. Yep. I looked him up before we went on today. He had a higher by a little bit than Curry. He was a stronger player. He could certainly, by the strength, back in guards and get shots. Um, he, I think, had more assists. Magic Johnson didn't score as well as either of those two, although he had a higher scoring percentage than both of them. And he, in terms of assists, obliterated the other two. Oh, yeah obliterated so let's Can I not that? Can I yeah, it? in a minute let's not talk about oscar because you never saw him play but let's talk about magic well magic was great of course magic uh couldn't shoot like curry magic didn't really share the playmaking uh role in his prime he was the playmaker curry shares it with draymond uh if draymond wasn't on the team let's say put it this way if curry replaced magic on the showtime lakers and Curry had Kareem, and they were running up and down the court. I think Curry would have averaged 11, 12 assists a game. I think he's skilled enough to do that. But on this team, it's not what's required. They want no. him to shoot and run around. I think on that team, he would have been just as successful as Magic Johnson on with, with Kareem. I think he would have. I love it. I love it. And you could have played them together. Magic and Curry, you could play them together. Okay. So who's your shooting guard? Jordan. No question, right? Yeah. Okay. Who's your Jordan. small forward? LeBron. Okay. LeBron. And it's like Curry isn't a, a traditional point guard. Well, Le LeBron does a lot of that too. So they kind of complement each other there. Okay. Um, who is your power forward? See, this is a tough one. I couldn't figure this out. I went with a guy who doesn't have the resume for it, but in his peak was to me as good. Oh, with Kawhi Leonard. He beat Curry in the, in the, in the finals. He beat LeBron in the finals, but he's been hurt a lot. You could go with, Larry Bird, you could go with, I mean, I wouldn't go with Kevin Durant. Um, you could go with Larry Bird, uh, but I Larry think. Bird in you Larry Bird. Yeah, and in fact, that team would need an outside shooter because as great as LeBron and Michael Jordan are, they're not, they were not great uh, jump shooters. Not great, not great three-point shooters, no. Good enough, but not great. No, yeah. not like Curry. And I think you'd need a great uh 
jump shooter like yeah. Okay, I also want to mention as a power forward Elgin Baylor, but okay. he's from so many uh, generations back, so you can't really say. And well, I know, yeah. You and you say saying, Let's go ahead. Well, why why are we discounting the sixties? Why? And the seventies? I don't. It just should. was a different game. Okay. All all I'm saying is, Iggy, it was a really different game. Yeah, it was. And so it's hard to make those comparisons. Yeah. Well, it for was, my center, I'm going Bill Russell. I know I it was a different problem with that. I, I, I didn't ever watch him play, but I was just looking through his resume like 15. Okay, so he goes to USF. Not exactly a – he didn't go to UCLA. His last two years at, UC, at USF, they lost one game. They won back-to-back NCAA titles at USF. Then he goes to Boston, wins a title his first year, not the second year, wins eight in a row, then then becomes the coach. Then they, they lose in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they, they, they win what? A few, three more. For 15 years, he won 13 championships. I've never heard of an athlete being that dominant in any sport ever, ever. Yeah. How does he not get more credit? <laughs> Again, it's a different era. I mean, you know, like either or less. Why didn't anyone else win 13 of 15 titles in any sport ever? That's amazing. And he was the coach at the same time. I think that's amazing. First black coach ever in Northern uh, – North, uh, Yeah, no, he's, he's really uh, – his resume is phenomenal. Greatest defensive player ever. Iggy, you know he's from Oakland and went to McClyman's High. That's right. And I want to tell you who else went to McClyman's High. Frank Robinson. Oh. Now, look, in case you're so young, Frank Robinson is one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived. Um, he also managed – he was a power-hitting uh, right fielder. Oh, great. And he managed the Giants. And I knew him very well. Now, he and Russell knew each other. I don't know if they were the same year. I've never checked that out. I think Russell's – Frank died. I think Russell's older, but I don't know. I didn't check out McClyman's. Anyway, Frank was very critical of everyone. You could say he was really a prick in a lot of ways. So one time I was talking to him and, you know, Russell managed the, the Sacramento Kings. So Frank told me, I was talking to Bill and they were going to lose in this game. I guess maybe it was the playoffs or something. I said, Bill, why didn't you call a timeout? When you when the other team went on a run, and Bill said to Frank, "It wouldn't have done any good," and Frank said, "It wouldn't have done any bad," because <laughs> Frank actually was a great manager, right? Uh, he was a a hold on. He never won a World okay. Series, maybe not great, and he alienated a lot of players. He was a brilliant tactician, okay, but he was a prick, and a lot of players okay. didn't like him. Got it. Okay, different era though. Yeah, different. So, so Frank was saying that Bill was not the best tactician. Yeah, and he didn't read people. Not that Frank. Well, you can did. call a timeout, Bill. Eh. Yeah, call it. Well, it wouldn't have done any do? good. It wouldn't have done any bad. I that's never funny. forgot that. That's funny. Well, anyway, that's my starting five. Who would you put at center? <sighs> Maybe Kareem. Kareem. Again, because the scoring. Yeah, and he was a pretty good defender too. He was. Iggy, he was unstoppable. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what Bill Russell could have done against him. I mean, Russell really always beat Will Chamberlain when it mattered. Always. Yes. Yeah, yeah he, he did. He did. But Kareem was different. Kareem could actually add a little finesse to his game. I don't know. He had that beautiful sky hook. Um, yeah. 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 All right. Uh, we're not done yet. We're not done. The office tour. 
the office tour. All right, let me give you a fish, an official tour of the office. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you down. Hold on, let's do it like this. Let me take this off the screen. I want to praise you for the office. Tour. I'm gonna go like around. So hold on, let's do it like this. Can, okay. Talk though. Can I hear? I can yeah, still hear you. Right? Can you hear me? Okay. So let's start off over here. Oh, you got so, a bookshelf in there. Okay. What do you got? This is where I hang up my quality control jackets. <laughs> I got three on the wall, and I choose which one I want to go with on that day. I got, I got my, my you give me that printer. The, the, I got, I also, yeah, 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 I have have a, okay. I have a camera that I spent about $700 on, still haven't taken it out of the box or used it because that's how I am. Going to eventually, there's, there's a, a bookshelf full of books that I've either not when read or read at one when point. When did you get that bookshelf? Uh, Swasi bought it for me recently. Okay. So then I got a, a baseball bat just in case. You know what I mean? Got to take some cuts. <laughs> well, you weren't a good hitter. <laughs> then I got I got this uh, my my wine cellars underneath there, underneath the stairs. Because how cool. many bottles you got? None. But I got <laughs> I, I got a rack. There's a rack in there, so it's it's ready. Once I get here, I got Deadpool and Captain America. My my cousin Scott Cohn, who is a brilliant artist, drew these for me. Deadpool, Captain America. This was 1997. Deadpool. 2001 Captain America. That was for my bar mitzvah when I was bar mitzvah. I want to tell you about Scott. Yeah. He's my brother, uh, my older brother, Robert, rest in peace. God, I loved him. And that's his one of his sons. He's the artist. And the other, Eric, is a cop in Philly. Detective. I'm, very, I'm a detective and I'm detective. very, very proud of him. Yes. Okay, let's keep going. So then over here, I got uh, my concert poster. From I believe the Warfield 2003, seeing Dave Chappelle for the first time, that was very exciting. Then I got my mom's records, so I got Morse Day in the Time, I got Rick James, Teddy Pendergrass, Prince, Sly and the Family Stone, Hall and Oates, early she Michael Jackson, she early loved Michael Jackson, yeah, yeah, uh, James Brown, Stevie Wonder, another uh, Rick James, and another Teddy Pendergrass, just just in case, and. You got a, a new rug. Oh, you like that rug? That's it. I really feel like it ties the room together. <laughs> I, it ties the room together. It really ties the room together. Yeah, show them right. the rug again. Here's okay. Here you go. Yeah, I I love that rug. Look at that rug. See that rug? <laughs> I, I, I got a candle too. And you got a little table. I got a table and a candle. So that's what I got. It's nice. That's what, and in your, it, it's their new house where they've been living a couple of weeks. Yeah. This is the downstairs. Downstairs. And I said it looked like the boiler room, but now he's got his phenomenal uh, broadcast studio. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a converted boiler room. It might have been a boiler room at one time, but now, you know, there's like tile on the ground and stuff. Iggy, I, I, it's, I'm just so proud. I love it. I love it. Thanks, give him that an A+. Plus. Waruna says, never thought you were into basketball. Interesting. I like playoff basketball. I do. We, this is a 49ers show. Yeah. So we don't talk about other stuff much. Yeah. 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 But we figured it's a Bay Area topic. Why not? Let me make sure I didn't miss anyone's donation. I appreciate all of your – people are mad about our, our uh, basketball picks. Oh, well. All right. That's the show. You know who we left out for point guard? John Stockton. He was great. He was excellent. Yeah. He was excellent. I want to tell you one other, Iggy, one other person we left out, and I know why we did, for shooting forward, Rick Barry. Yeah. Oh, a warrior. God, what a player. But you can't pick him over LeBron James, but what a player. You know who we didn't leave out, though? Kevin Durant. No, we didn't leave him out. We didn't even discuss him. Now, 
No, not for me. All right, Dad. Great show. You're coming over tonight, right? Yes. Love you, Iggy. Love you too, Dad. See, see you later, everyone. Bye. Thanks for watching. Thank you.